Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dell, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi, I'm Gemma Dell, NAB's Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Recently, someone I'm really close to was the victim of a scam. Uh, a phone call that was purporting to be from NAB, as it happens, uh, that convinced them to confirm some details and resulted in a loss of $3,000. So $3,000 is more than anyone wants to lose. Even if you can afford to lose it, it hurts. And you really don't want to lose it to a scammer. And the range and prevalence of scams that are out there is absolutely astonishing. We get a bit of training at NAB that everyone has to do about scams and what you need to look out for and so on because we deal with customers and it is shocking what uh, what can go on. So the security team at NAB see this activity all the time. Today I have Tara McCarthy with me. She's going to give us an idea of just how sophisticated scams can be how to protect yourself, how to protect your loved ones, because it may be the people around you uh, who need a little bit of support and, uh, and a bit of a chat about some of the more obvious ones to, to keep an eye out for. Tara, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me, Gemma. So Tara, I'll start by uh, giving some details of the example that prompted this podcast, because it's not the kind of thing that I ever imagined I'd be talking about. You can tell me how common this is. So the situation is that an older couple very intelligent people, well off financially, well educated, pretty astute about financial matters. Uh, the husband, I'm going to say had his heart, card skimmed, and you're going to correct me because I probably said the wrong thing, uh, had the card skimmed earlier, does a lot of international travel, so it could have happened anywhere. Wife receives a call at home purporting to be from NAB as it happens. So NAB isn't necessarily critical to this story, could have been any bank. Uh, but from the bank that they happen to have been with for literally decades and said, this is NAB security, uh, just checking up on your cards. The caller had a lot of personal details already, so knew their names, knew where they lived, all that kind of stuff, and eventually convinced the wife to disclose the credit card details, but also the CVV on the back and so on. What twigged her concerns was a request for the... You're getting access code sent to your mobile sometimes. So she had had to do something or other over the course of the phone. And this phone call went on for ages. You know, they were on the phone for like 45 minutes or something. Uh, she was online trying to do things that he was instructing her to do over the phone. And a security code has been sent by NAB to her phone. And it comes up with a line saying, do not disclose this to anyone, even anyone from NAB. And this guy's trying to convince her to give it over the phone. And by the, that time, she's worked out this isn't legitimate. Hung up, rang the bank. And the bank's gone, you've lost $3,000, but thank God it's all it was. <laughs> How often does this kind of stuff happen? Yeah, Gemma, and I'm um, sorry to hear that that happened to your um, friend. Um, and sadly, it happens every single day, um, hundreds of times. So what you've ex ex uh, described then, it's called phone phishing. Um, and basically, uh, scammers or criminals are pretending to be from trusted um, organisations within Australia and they're calling individuals and they're trying to gain access to either banking platforms or to convince that individual to facilita 
facilitate a payment on their behalf. So it's very common um, as an approach. Uh, we see um, a lot of NAB phone phishing being reported to us. So we look after fish at nab.com.au. So a lot of people who don't even bank with NAB report and say, we got a call, Scott saying it was $800 going to New Zealand and they need to put on a stop. And then they're asking for more information. In this instance, it sounded like the criminal had already gained a certain amount of information around your friend, which is quite common as well, because um, criminals are gaining access to um, in identity information through data breaches and information that's sold on the dark web to then create a spear-fished um, a phone um, opportunity. So in these instances, we see it happening from NAB, but every other bank, so Commonwealth, ANZ, Westpac, um, more often we see um, NBN or Telstra um, being the organisations that the criminals are reporting to be from. And they, they take a, a slightly different approach. Um, and one of the main approaches that they require in that is that they need to download um, applications like TeamViewer to be able to gain access to their computer. Um, and then they will um, bring in law enforcement of some sort and they will convince the person they're speaking to on the phone that they're actually working to stop scammers and working with the um, Australian Federal Police or the CIA um, or some other law enforcement organisation globally. And uh, the way that they convince them that this is actually happening is they get them to log into their internet banking platform. And because they have TeamViewer installed on their computer, once they've um, logged in, they can now have their um, credentials because uh, they've seen that as a keylogger um, software as part of that. They put up a black screen and then if the person has money in an associated account, they'll transfer whatever they have into their everyday account and they'll name it. CIA or um, Australian Federal Police or Scam Chase or whatever it is. And then when um, the person who's looking at their internet banking, once that black screen's removed, they see that that transaction has been processed and they that brings about the believability of the call. So then they're asked to on forward that payment and we're talking anything from $3,000 to $170,000. Uh, and they're asked to process that payment through different means, a lot of time through Western Union or telegraphic transfers at a branch. And they'll coach um, the victim to say that, you know, they're buying a property because it's undercover, don't let the bank know, it's a secret. So they coach them around a story that might be believable to banking staff so that they can facilitate the payment overseas. And once that occurs, there's very little likelihood of recovery from the bank. So phone phishing is very um, common and we see it happening um, and Scamwatch reports it happening um, quite regularly. We just recommend um, for any individuals that receive a phone call uh, from anyone that's unsolicited um, and even if you might be expecting a call, if anyone's asking for personal details or to facilitate a payment, hang up the phone immediately and call that genuine organization on a publicly listed number and confirm. If ever you're concerned in any way whatsoever, hang up the phone. A genuine organization won't have any problem with you calling back and they'll be able to leave a note um, on the system. So the, the thing you've said that freaked me out most, <laughs> so plenty of things in there that'll freak you out, is the fact that through data breaches and so on, they already have a lot of your information. And I can see that why that would 
automatically convince people that it's from a legitimate source. So you already know my name and my credit card details, which was the example that I was giving you. Yeah. You know, but they already had my details, so it must have been legitimate. And you're saying, no, 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 they got your details. Sure, they've got all of those details that they purchased it because it was a data breach or something else that they had access to them already. Yeah, correct. And it's that second part, like asking the individual to provide their card number and their CVV a bank would never do that. There's no, there's never a requirement um, that a bank would need access to that information. They would already have it. Mm. If they're going to do a validation, there might be some questions that they would ask at the start, mm. in which case you can equally hang up if you're uncertain and call them back as well. Right. So it just, it's just a bit of a, a brave new world. I did get the, um, I personally got the, um, the ATO one, which was the you've got a, uh, an outstanding tax liability, I think, was what they were trying to say. But it was a pre-recorded yeah. message yeah. in an American accent. Uh, had a warrant for your arrest. Yeah, all of this kind of stuff, clearly articulated in language that would just never be used by the ATO, aside from the fact that they don't give you pre-recorded messages about a tax bill. Like, it was hilarious if you knew to uh, to, to listen for how, how wrong it was. But I imagine they catch people. Yeah, so um, phishing basically is... So can you spell phishing for me, by the way? Because this is something sure. that people people go. <laughs> yes. So phishing um, to, I guess, make it different to phishing when you're going out to catch a marlin mm. um, is P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Um, and it's it's and the reason it's called phishing is because it's criminals casting a wide net. Right in order to be able to get a few bites. So if you cast a wide net, um, then maybe you only catch two fish, Mm. but if they're enormous fish, then that's all that you need. Mm. Um, So, and it's it's a very cost-effective way for criminals to be able to, um, you know, obtain access to funds or information illegally. So one of the things that you've pointed out is that, yeah, this is not, kids sitting in their parents basement which is always the example people like to use this is it's organized crime in the most yeah extraordinary sense yep 100 percent. so if you google cyber criminal Mm -hmm. you'll come up with that image of an individual sitting in a darkened room doing something malicious on their um, computer and it builds a perception that it's just one individual in a darkened bedroom, maybe in their parents' basement or attic. Don't know why we always think they're kids living well, at home. We don't really have basements in Australia, <laughs> so that's not what it is here. It's, yeah, yeah. it's like an American sort of TV film type yeah. image that you get. And I think um, you know, media has kind of built this view that that's what it is, and the perception it's one guy. How's he going to find me? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of billions of people globally. How on earth is he going to find me? And we assume it's a guy as well. But actually, in reality, organised crime is just that. They're very, and that's who's perpetrating and facilitating the phishing and the cyber crime. Um, and they're working in call centres, they've got headsets, they've got laptops, they've got coaching, um, they've got um, metrics that they need to get, got they've got targets. quality measures, they've got targets, they've got a bonus incentive scheme. They're going out to universities to find. Do they get superannuation? <laughs> well, they're not based in Australia, and I'm yeah. not sure what the superannuation scheme in some of those other countries looks like, but I don't think so. But it is basically like a corporate setup. But it's a corporate setup, yeah. yeah. And it's a business, mm. and they're out to make money. Mm. There's no mucking around. Mm. It's not someone just trying to get a bit of money here or there. Mm. They've got standard operating procedure manuals that are 3,000 pages long. 
So if you're having a tricky call and want to know how to negotiate that and how to overcome objections, then they have the answers to how to do that. From the victim of your crime. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's astonishing and it is, it's quite intimidating, that thought. So one of the things that is fascinating, certainly with the individual I was talking about, was the caller was very convincing and very confident. Yes. So was very happy to answer questions, mm -hmm. was, I mean, the, the examples that's given is that they get quite aggressive and yeah. can be really pushy, which was not the experience this person had. It was kind of like, no, they were very confident. They worked for NAB, they were in NAB security. They were, you know, uh, calling for this reason and this reason. You can look up my details, all this kind of stuff. Very, very calm, very smooth with it all. And that seems to be part of it. So they're getting coached on how to do this. Yeah, 100%. They're, they're experts at having these conversations and they're experts at getting people to um, provide um, details or facilitate payments. That's their job day in, day out, like you become an expert in um, banking or superannuation or podcasts. Mm. They are absolute experts um, in committing um, fraud and scams against victims. So, yeah. That's really depressing. <laughs> um, so what are some of the other examples you see? So the phone ones, I think everyone would be able to. And I, I can name a number of family friends uh, of a certain age and demographic using... The example you did actually, Telstra was the one. This is quite a few years ago, but the Telstra one downloaded the software and that sort of stuff. And they absolutely saw quite a few of those. Not as extreme. There was no CIA, AFP example. It was more just that they they took money, um, relatively small sums at those times. Yeah. But um, they're getting better now, right? Increasing. Yeah. yeah so their revenue is increasing for sure. So what else are you seeing? So we see, uh, so of all the phishing, so we've just talked about phone phishing, mm -hmm. there's email phishing as well, mm -hmm. and there's SMS phishing. Right. So email phishing is the old school email. It's, you know, looking to come from a genuine organisation or maybe someone that you know, uh, and it's asking for a few things. So maybe it's asking for um, personal details. It might be asking to facilitate a payment, uh, or it might be asking you just to click the link, which might deploy malware or some um, you know, suspicious um, software onto your um, uh, computer. So there's a, there's, those are three key activities that um, phishing is looking for you to do. So email phishing still occurs, but more commonly we see SMS phishing. Um, basically, it's more, uh, has a bit higher click-through rate mm. and it just seems more personalised when it comes through on our mobile device mm. and we're used to clicking and I guess not maybe so aware um, that that is a channel that criminals are now looking to use to gain information. But those key things apply, right? So um, phishing often um, is uh, generically addressed, um, so potentially they don't know your name, so mm. it's just dear customer, something like that. Um, there's threat or reward. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, if you don't do this, we're locking down your internet banking or, mm -hmm. hey, you might be able to get some money back from yeah. the ATO. Yeah. Or the threat is um, you've got an energy bill and it's $1,000. Oh, my God, click the link here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it, there's a link to click on uh, and it's asking for personal details. Um, so we, we just say anything that um, is not addressed to you has a link to click on. You can hover over on an email and mm. see where it's redirecting you to, which is a really good tip. But if you receive an SMS and there's no name on it, even if it seems to come from an organisation that you do business with and there's a link, don't click it. 
Mm. Don't take the chance. Um, just contact that organisation independently and confirm if they need some information from you because it might um, be asking for personal information but it might be downloading um, malware or ransomware um, as well. So we see phishing, email, um, SMS and phone phishing. Um, but, I mean, this, the list of scams is, is basically unending. So as soon as a new opportunity comes up, um, criminals are looking to take advantage of all sorts of um, alternatives. And they're really looking at social engineering. They're really looking at getting people to take an action that helps them facilitate their, their crime. So um, phishing is uh, major. Investment scams is a really huge impact on Australians. Um, millions and millions of dollars every year being lost to investment scams, overseas investors um, or, or Bitcoin investors promising massive returns with absolutely nothing um, at the end of it. Um, and we see um, ransomware is still um, a fairly large issue. And probably from business customers, business email compromise or invoice scams is a massive threat um, to Australian businesses. Massive. Oh, I'm going to have to ask you about a few of those because some of them are new to me. I was going to say, so my hairdresser uh, got an email purporting to be from the ATO mm -hmm. saying you've received a tax refund. And apparently this was everywhere and probably is now too after the... Um, uh, the introduction of the recent legislation that would allow people to get this sort of more substantial rebate this year and it was coming through in your tax returns. All these people rushing to put in their return immediately after 30 June to, to get a refund of up to uh, a bit over $1,000. Mm -hmm. And my hairdresser saw it and she was like, I've never had a refund in my life. That's so exciting. Yeah. And then she thought, I've never had a refund in my life. So she rang her accountant who went, yeah, you're not getting a refund, you've got a bill. Um, <laughs> and she was very disappointed. Yeah. But it was exactly that, you know, playing on that hope, like, ah, oh, so exciting. Yeah. Um, I will say if you are... use any of the electronic communication with the ATO, it's all done via MyGov. Yes. Which is, it feels like the most antiquated thing in the world when you're used to using internet banking and so on. But there's a reason why they send you these emails which say, you have new information, it's in your inbox, yes. and that's it, full yeah. stop, and then you have to go and search and find your password and second factor authentication and all this other stuff um, in order to get to it because they're not going to email you and say, click here. That's correct. So when you're receiving unsolicited messages and someone's offering you that reward, mm. be suspicious, be thinking, is that for real? Like, mm. when has this organisation ever offered me anything? <laughs> And can I, I'll tell you that um, ATO Lua is really an identity theft lure. Um, we've had the opportunity um, for our experts to be able to click on that um, link mm -hmm. and it's and it goes then through to set up a fake MyGov account. Mm -hmm. And it asks for personal details, identification details, card details. Basically, if someone goes through that whole process, mm. a criminal has enough information um, to completely um, take over an identity. Um, so it's quite serious, mm. um, the information that they're looking for and then what can occur um, after that because that would allow someone to then go and set up banking profiles in your name, apply for unsecured lending, apply for telephone services, um, apply for, you know, go to Harvey Norman and apply for one of those cards to buy furniture. And you might not know, and five years later you might go to do a loan application yeah. and you can't because you've got so many defaults against your name. Yeah, your credit file is horrendous. Yeah, your credit file is horrendous. Yeah, and the first thing you then have to do is prove 
it wasn't you. So they say it can take around 12 months to be able to um, start to resolve um, that credit reporting issue. We work very closely with ID Care, who's a not-for-profit organisation, who helps people who've fallen victim um, to identity credential issues, and they're excellent. So one of the simple ones with that is people stealing your mail as well, isn't it? Yep, people stealing mail still happens. People going through bins, people going through um, dumpsters where they see a whole lot of um, paperwork and, you know, essentially you get your statement and a bill and your last year's tax return and Mm. I can find enough information on the open web to pretend to be you. So many things to try to be on top of. One thing that I think is quite interesting uh, is the demographic focus of phone phishing in particular mm-hmm. seems to be older people, right? Because they have home phones for a start Correct. and also they're at home yeah. more frequently, whereas younger people, the chances of my answering my home phone are literally zero uh, because I haven't got one plugged in. I think yeah. I've got a line but it's not plugged in. So, you know, there is that greater likelihood of an older Australian and, and then also that they trust those institutions like Telstra and the bank and so on, they've been with for decades and so on. Younger people are exposed in different ways, you were saying. Yeah, 100%. So um, whilst we do see that, for, I guess they're saying our older community members, which I've found out now, older means over 45. So oh, that's depressing. Great. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to tell anyone that. We can keep that really quiet. Um, but Scam Watch reports majority of scams um, do occur for those who are age 65 and above, right. um, fall victim most commonly. But those are also reported cases. Um, so we're not sure or have no view of any cases that are not reported. Mm. What we see for younger people, they still fall victim. Um, so I was doing some presentations um, up in New South Wales and heard a story a banker's wife had received the SMS from NAB saying update your details so she did put in all her details um, 10 minutes later $4,000 went out of their account because uh, she'd fallen victim to a phishing lure mm. so I guess the younger demographic are still falling victim to phishing through our digital um, channels mm. so um, SMS and emails but also there's a lot of social media scams happening um, so Facebook scams ticket selling um, puppy scams um, where they're participating in a transaction and authorizing a transaction when there's actually nothing at the end of it um, there's also some stuff that can be happening um, you know where they're getting involved romantically um, that can have an unhappy ending as well um, and so there's a range of there's a range of scams that are now more um, uh, appetizing for them to for the younger generation to participate in because it aligns with the way that they act digitally. They're not going to answer their landline. They are on Facebook. They are on um, Snapchat. They are on Instagram. Mm. And so they see a beautiful person. You know, Fire Festival is a perfect example of that. So that was a big scam. Um, And a whole range of people, because it was supported by influencers, paid a heap of money to go and um, participate in this festival, which just never existed. And then that money's gone. Yeah, that, oh, that's really interesting because a lot of people don't, they associate it with the word scam but don't think about it in the terms of being scammed by an online criminal or any of those sorts of things. You just go, oh, I made a terrible mistake and I lost some money but yeah. you don't put it in the same category. And yet, to be honest with you, for a lot of young people, the, the amount lost is materially much more significant than an older person who might have lost $1,000 but they've got 
significantly more than that in the bank. Yeah. A young person who loses $1,000, that's probably all they've got. Yeah, that's mm. a lot of money for them, mm. um, you would imagine. So Certainly at that age, it would have been for me. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been devastated. And I think that's the view. They're not like, oh, a cyber criminal's hacked me and I've been victim to a scam. They mm. just think, I made a wrong decision to purchase from someone who wasn't genuine, but that's a scam. Yeah. Okay, so they've got to be quite conscientious as well. We talked about um, some of the institutions. I've been getting heaps of email from PayPal. Mm -hmm. Come on, you know, just verify your details. Or as you say, we've locked down your account because you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Um, They send it to the wrong email address, so it's definitely not legit. Um, (laughs) But it is amazing how many of them come through. I mean, there's no... There's no obvious reason why my details would be out there, but they just just find them. Uh, You were talking about social media scams. That's really interesting. Like kids, I feel for kids these days, right? You've got to be, it's a brave new world. And often parents don't know how to help their kids manage a lot of the stuff that they're exposed to on social media and so on. So what sort of things happen on social media? Puppy scams I've never heard of. Yeah, so this is um, basically where someone is, we call it a puppy scam, but it's any goods that someone is um, trying to sell Mm -hmm. um, through um, different channels. So it might be Facebook Marketplace, it might be Gumtree, um, it can be, you know, different Marketplace um, sites. And they post something and they make arrangements and they get into a conversation and they build a level of trust with the Mm -hmm. person uh, who's looking to buy um, the goods. Uh, and then basically what will happen is they'll it'll come for a reason that they need to make the payment first and then they'll you know send the puppy or the goods or the shirt or the shoes or Mm. whatever it is they're buying or tickets um, to concerts or those sorts of things and then they'll do the exchange Um, but basically once that payment has been authorized and sent through Um, The bank can always attempt to um, dispute that transaction, but if the money's gone from the other end, it's unlikely that you'll get it back. Um, So just being aware of who are you buying goods from, are they trusted, Um, do they have a security protocol, potentially some of those places like um, Marketplace and um, uh, Gumtree, they're not bad, Mm. but just see the goods before mm. you send any money and have an agreement of a um, you know a handover at the time when you're um, getting what it is that you're buying yeah I mean, there was one of the great things about eBay there was a wonderful quote um, I think from the guys who started eBay that said that the joy of eBay is not that people can buy and sell stuff it's the fact that you billions of people no the billions of people now trust each other yeah because they'd set up the infrastructure so that you did trust that there was something on the other end. Yeah. Whereas with some of the other ones, like Facebook Marketplace, that infrastructure is not there. You're effectively trusting that the other person is going to do the right thing. Yeah. But it's not the same as eBay, where yeah. it was absolutely designed, and that's how PayPal arose as well, right, to ensure that the payments were were legitimate and, and all came through. Yeah. Um, so to your point about PayPal, we mm. see basically any organisation that um, exchanges goods and has mm. payment details at- attached with it will have phishing lures associated with it. So right. you'll see PayPal, Amazon, um, all of those sorts of Apple um, mm. always send out, uh, have a lot of phishing associated with them because if people can get access to the account, they can get access to all the credentials that are in that. Um, there's card details. Um, they might buy and sell goods uh, on your behalf or, mm. or take over um, those sorts of channels. So, yeah, we do see a lot of phishing um, that reports to come from um, those types of organisations. One that is not 
It's awful to talk about, but probably worth mentioning, and we won't go into any detail because there'll be vastly better sources than you and I having a chat about it now, but is, um, I don't even know what you call it, but people going to certain types of websites, <laughs> and again, I can give an example of someone who did this, went to a certain type of website, and then uh, his iPad in this situation was locked down and said, you've been accessing inappropriate material, mm. and we will not release your iPad um, it's an iPad was a very valuable thing yeah. uh, until you pay us lots of money via iTunes cards, I think it was. That yes. was the situation. Anyway, the situation was resolved fairly care- fairly quickly by just returning it to factory settings, as mm-hmm. it turned out. Mm-hmm. But this, um, that's ransomware effectively, isn't it? Effectively, it is. Was it, ransom it is a ransom. Scam. It's a ransom mm. scam. So there is ransomware. Mm. Um, so that's where um, malicious software is downloaded onto a computer or a network if mm. it's networked, um, and all the details are encrypted. Mm. And then the criminals ask for a ransom. So at the moment, the going individual ransom is around eight thousand dollars for wow. a ransom, and they ask for it in two lots. So they'll say, "Give us four thousand dollars in Bitcoin." So you'll pay in Bitcoin and then they'll say, I've unencrypted half, give me another 4,000 and you send another 4,000 and then um, it all gets unencrypted. Except it's not an art. So there's no guarantee that all of your files are going to become unencrypted. Um, Australian law enforcement recommends not to pay um, the ransomware because you're funding Mm. um, cyber criminals and who knows what else is associated with that. So if you basically have a good backup system, um, and up-to-date uh, virus protection um, and you allow your computers to do their regular patching and updates because when your computer says we need to do an update it's just not an annoying technology update they're actually applying a lot of security features as new um, threats have come um, aware then they put in some um, security features to um, con- counteract that so if you've got all of that in place and you back up your data and then someone holds uh, your your data to ransom then you can say well it's cheaper for me to just throw out my computer than it is to pay all of that ransom if they have got images of you doing something you know then that i guess is um is different and i would just say seek assistance or seek support mm. um, from uh, places like ID care who can provide some support on how you might be able to remediate that um, and ScamWatch has information but ID care actually able to have counseling services um, around that but backing up your data mm. to an external um, source will avoid any of that ransom concern. And on the other front, um, a lot of people know this, but it's probably worth noting, uh, there's real value in putting a little sticker over the camera on your computer. <laughs> Web, yeah. <So laughs> I'm looking at Tara's I've got a right now. Brand she's one. got one right there. Yeah, yeah. so um, you may want to have that conversation with your children, particularly your teenagers. Yeah, um, absolutely. For their protection, yeah. right? Because people are looking to take advantage of the conversations that are now having on webcams, mm. and they're encouraging people to do things that they would might not normally do. Or wouldn't um, want the general public saying or, anyway. Or yeah. wouldn't want the general public seeing and then may use that um, as a bit of a tool to elicit some payments or those sorts of things. So if the webcam is turned off, um, then everyone's safe.
I'll give you one. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Uh, pop into your local branch and see if you can get all sticker to go over your uh, over your camera. It turns out we've got NAB branded ones. Of all the things I didn't imagine we had, yeah. that would have been top yeah. of my list. Enterprise security. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Too funny. Now, you did mention also small business owners because business owners, I find this really interesting. Every time you go uh, to a beautician, for example, mm-hmm. or the physio, mm-hmm. they ask for the most extraordinary amount of information. And I used to happily sit down and fill out the form. This was some years ago, you know, the date of birth and, you know, where you live and full medical history or whatever. And then at one point I went, I have no idea how good your systems are and yep. I have given away an insane amount of personal information. Yep. And if I'm just going to uh, get my eyebrows waxed, that's probably not necessary. Yeah, correct. And, it, and you know, it does make you think a little bit about how both the small business owner and the consumer who, who use that small business owner need to be protected. Yeah. How complex that is. Yeah, so businesses definitely have, um, you know, need to be aware of their cyber environment. And if they're holding data, the I guess the security around that data of their customers. Um, and as consumers, we have to think about what information are we handing mm. over um, to all sorts of people that is not necessary? Like when you go to a shop and you make a payment on your card and they say, what's your postcode? Mm. It's like, you don't need to know my postcode. Mm. Like you don't have to provide that information. Um, but And if you're concerned, it's definitely worth asking businesses mm. uh, around what is their security protocols for the information that you might be providing. Might yeah. make them think about it as well. Well, um, I do find it interesting how Bunnings are like, I'll oh, put in your email address and we'll email your receipt. And I was yeah. like, no, it's fine. Yeah. I'll just take my paper copy. That's yeah, all I need. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I love Bunnings. Don't get me wrong. They're every weekend, but um, but I don't feel that they need to know anything more about me than the fact I spend an absolute fortune there. Um, business owners protecting themselves as mm-hmm. well, because they obviously yeah. have to protect their customers, which is a huge complex piece of work, mm-hmm. um, but protecting themselves too. 100%. Um, so we see um, a massive amount of um, business email compromises occurring. So that is where a lure has been sent out, which is a, say, Microsoft Office phishing lure or whatever their platform is, and they get um, access to their um, email and their password for their account. Once a cyber criminal has access to business email, that amount of, inf- even in, for individuals, because it happens to individuals as well, but if you think about the amount of information that's stored mm. um, within a business email system, it's immense. And you wouldn't ever want anyone to have access to that. So these days, you know, email's used as the modern day payment um, platform where we exchange and share details around payments that we're um, making or receiving. So we see, um, uh, businesses being targeted where they're arranging payments. So we see a lot of property, um, people who work in the property area being targeted. Real estate, solicitors, builders, developers, um, anywhere where um, payment information is being sent backwards or forwards quite regularly and the value is of a higher level. Yeah, big dollars. Yeah, big dollars. So basically there's two parts to it. One is the email compromise and then the other is the invoice scam or the payment scam. So once an email is compromised, that would allow um, a criminal to view, um, and what they have to do is put an auto forward onto another email address, so they have access to all the emails coming in and out, so they don't have to log into that individual. And they'll just have a program set up, scanning for payment details, BSB, something like that. When they see um, a payment um, instruction being sent or received, they can intercept that. 
and they can change the bank account details on that invoice and then on forward that to the intended um, recipient or do a follow-up message to say, oh, the, the account details that I gave you last week are incorrect, please pay to this new account. So, um, and this happens every single day. Like This and, one's knocking my socks off. Yeah, I've never heard of this. That's unbelievable. M- millions and millions of dollars being lost, um, you know, yearly uh, th- through this process. So then the recipient gets the altered invoice or the payment instructions and they facilitate the payment. And then um, generally it will go to a mule account within Australia and then it will go offshore very quickly because that mule is often also involved in a scam. They're in a romance scam, they're in a job scam. They think they're receiving a genuine payment and forwarding on for a genuine purpose. And then it's sent overseas, so recovery is limited. So um, Brisbane City Council um, got impacted by this. It wasn't an invoice, and this is in the media, so we can talk about it. Um, But they received a phone call and were asked to update a vendor's account details, which the person who answered the call did. And uh, then they were received nine fake invoices, and this was over three weeks. And they sent $450,000 to a false account. By the time the original vendor called them and said, we sent one invoice, we haven't received the money, can yeah. you set, tell us where that money is? And they said, we've sent it to your new account. We didn't send a new account. Yeah. So because it took three weeks... The recovery of that $450,000 was around $42,000. I'm amazed they got that back. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, they're probably pretty chuffed with that. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So when the city council is getting, oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's really, um, it's very, it's a a rising trend. It's Mm. an emerging threat. And they say it's probably one of the biggest threats facing businesses in Australia at the moment. But if you secure your business email with a third factor authentication, mm. have a SMS code that you get when you have to log in or if it's a new IP address or there's something mm. um, unusual about the login uh, or you need your thumbprint mm. or some other authentication factor, that can just strengthen that security around your e-business or your individual email. Have a reminder on your calendar, check your auto forwards because you might not even know that your email is compromised. Mm. Yeah, so we um, recommend to check the auto forwards because that can be a good indicator that um, the email is compromised. Uh, And if it is, then we recommend just uh, get an IT professional to have a look, make sure it's all cleaned up because there can be a few other tricky things that they can do. But then it might be worth um, letting anyone know who's part of your um, address book that you might have received some unusual um, messages because they can also send out malware from your address book um, looks to come from you so people are clicking on it. Uh, But in terms of um, the business email compromise and the invoice scam, we also say for businesses if they can just establish a protocol for one when they're setting up new payment details to call Mm, and just verifying a known number not the number on the email or the invoice um, that that is the correct number then you can put that into your payment system and any updates to call on a publicly listed number or a known number to you to verify the same. And that one um, old school, old fashioned approach um, is a really good way that you can minimize your risk of this occurring to you. Yeah. There is so much for people to be aware of and conscientious about. So instead of 
my strategy number one of just panicking and putting everything in cash, um, which is also a risk of its own, let's call it that. What do you do? So how do you prepare yourself and protect yourself as best you can? And also your loved ones, the people around you where, you know, it might be your teenagers, it might be your parents. How do you get everyone into a safer position? Yeah, great. That's a great question. Um, So I guess there's two elements to it. There's a technical element Mm -hmm. and there's also the social engineering element. So from the technical element, you know, it's making sure that your antivirus is up to date, that you're doing your software updates. If you're a business, that you have an approach to your cybersecurity. So if you're a business, you can um, look at the Australian Signals Directorate. They provide an essential eight recommendations for what business should businesses can do for their cyber infrastructure. For individuals, um, there's a whole range of information um, and it can be proactively sent to you. So um, uh, ScamWatch can send out alerts around new scams that they're seeing. Um, ScamWatch is who? Uh, ScamWatch is the ACCC, so um, they... 100% legit. 100% <laughs> legit, yeah, correct. Um, so ScamWatch um, is the reporting channel. If you have fallen victim to a scam, you can report that to ScamWatch, and then that can form... They don't do anything. Like, they don't go and try and arrest the criminals, but from a reporting perspective, it's important that they understand what's happening in the environment so that they can raise awareness. If they're not having that report, they don't know to send out an alert that these type of scams occurring. So ScamWatch has um, proactive alerts, but also a heap of information that individuals can go and have a look at and read through. Um, there's also the Stay Smart Online um, page, uh, which is an Australian uh, government page as well. And they send out alerts and they have a heap of um, information and articles on how you can keep yourself safe. Um, the Alana and Madeline Foundation do a lot of work around children uh, and teenagers and how you can care for them online. So that's a really good resource. So NABTRADE uh, last year for our charity trading day, the charity of choice was the Alana and Madeline Foundation. And is it called eSmart? It's e-something yes, another. the e-safety commission. E-safety, yes. that's it. So they, they have a particular program where they go into schools and that's what the funds were used for. So there you go. We funded part of that last year with... Uh, Generous donations and trading behaviour from NABTRADE investors explicitly for that, helping kids stay safe online. And they do an amazing job and have a heap of great resources and recommendations around what people can do. Because as well, you know, the parents need to be aware Mm. um, and build that awareness of how they can help um, their kids. Um, NAB also provides a whole range of articles and cyber training. So on nab.com.au security, we have um, security tips for you, so for individuals, and we have security tips for businesses and specific cyber training, which we'll go through. And it's just bite-sized um, you know, modules or articles. None of them take more than 10 minutes to read. And it just gives some insight into what is the threat and then some really helpful tips on what you can do to protect yourself. So there's so much information out there. Um, There's also Have I Been Pwned? So Have I Been Pwned is a site um, that you can go and put in your email address and it will tell you if that has been exposed in a data breach, what the data breach was, and you can also sign up to an alert. So if your details are exposed in a data breach, you'll get a notification to say this has been exposed and you can take remedial action by changing passwords um, or putting flags on um, different services. Oh, that's really interesting. I use a, um, a password keeper partly because I forget everything all the time. And 
they first of all tell you all the time that your password is rubbish and yeah. you have to fix it up. <laughs> yeah. um, but secondly, they will give you dark web reports, so whether mm-hmm. or not you, um, and they'll say this one's been compromised. You know, this has been on the dark web. It's, it's quite, it's quite unnerving, but it's also very useful. Where you go, okay, well, I know what I need to sort out now. Yeah, it's because it's be in an app and it's on my on my phone. I'm a little bit more conscientious about it than it would have been otherwise. I think. Yeah, because having for fifty strong, bucks a year or something yeah, is fine. Having strong yeah. passwords is really important. So, mm. um, last year they did a study of the ten million passwords that had been exposed. Five million were the same top ten passwords. You know, there's things like. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Of 10 million passwords, yeah. 5 million were the same. Yeah, 5 million were, were the same. basically 10. Yeah. How, what so were they? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Password 1, I love you. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, enough to, have, it's not enough to have a password. And don't use the same password mm. across different programs. Because one, if you use a password like this, we don't even need to compromise your details or get information mm. from a data breach. I can just set up a macro and mm. run through programs with that and see if I can gain access. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so password management tools, yes. using a password code or phrase yes. um, is really important. Yeah. Don't, I, my, my personal tip, which I'm sure is not great, but the ones that they suggest for you, if you lose your password keeper, you will never remember those ever and you basically have them all written down somewhere and then you're even in more trouble than before. <laughs> yeah. The ones they suggest are a little bit too too sophisticated so maybe sometimes. Yeah, and if it's password code, it's mm. something you've created that has relevance to you personally. Yeah. Our friend has uh, Milo the Destroyer and he's just, uh, well, he doesn't. That's not his password anymore. <laughs> but as an example, mm. Milo, he's his dog. Mm. So, you know, and he's got um, some letters which represent a number or yeah. um, an O is a zero or something like that. So mm. there's ways you can make secure passwords that are relevant to you. Um, and even if it's your password code for the overarching management tool. Yeah. And then you have to remember the one to get into the management tool because I made mine super complex and then yeah. I have to uh, remember exactly what combination <laughs> of figures it was going to be. Tara, I can't thank you enough. It's, um, I think this will probably be the most useful podcast I ever do. Might, <laughs> might not be as exciting as you know where the market's going or any of those things, but I tell you what, it's certainly so valuable for people. You've mentioned a lot of places where people can go to get more information. Is there one place you'd suggest people keep up to date? Um, you can go to nab.com.au security and we list all of those um, tools and resources there. So rather than finding it confusing, you can go to NAB. We can help you um, understand where's a good place to go. But definitely ScamWatch, um, Stay Safe Online are great tools and resources. Uh, and my other tip, uh, speaking on behalf of the people I know who, who prompted this, go into the branch if you're... Uh, if, if you're concerned because the branch was sensational in this situation that was so helpful and yeah. just um, I think the most important thing was that they didn't make us feel stupid um, yeah. which is how everybody feels in these situations it's yeah. really hard and I think we need to dispel that myth and we need to raise up when mm. we are falling victim or are um, having um, attacks against us mm. um, to spread the word about how common it is mm. so that people are aware um, of what's out there in the environment and but 100% the frontline staff are amazing um, or 132265 call our contact centre they'll be able to assist as well Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, we hope this episode has been helpful for you on your journey to creating wealth. This one's not about creating it. This is about keeping it safe. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, we do love to hear from you. So please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. 
I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealthatnab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.